from Los Angeles, California. This is the Rider Strike Chronicles podcast, and I'm Tanya Barnes. Hello, everybody. Today is Friday, December 21st, 2007, day 46 of the Rider Strike. In today's episode, we'll conclude our series of interviews held at the Diversity Day themed picketing event that took place at Paramount Studios. Featured today are Sherry McGee McCudley, Terry Brown Jackson, Kelly Griffin, and Warren Hutcherson. Before we begin, just a couple of news and notes. First up, Hulu, the NBC Universal and News Corp online video joint venture, is currently in private beta, but today they started offering invites through many of the popular tech blogs, including ReadWriteWeb, GigaOM, Webware, Mashable, Download Squad, and TechCrunch. Second up, NewTV.com announced that Will Ferrell's Funny or Die just received 15 million from venture capital firm Sequoia Capital and unnamed institutional backers. For information about these developments and more, log on to my blog, wgastrike2007.blogspot.com. Okay, let's move on with today's episode. My first series of interviews are with writers Sherry McGeek McCudley, Terry Brown Jackson, and Kelly Griffin. Let's listen. You say you're a writer, write. Regardless of whether you're writing for television or film or books or whatever, you know, we of course we're out here in front of Paramount Studios today because we are a part of the Writers Guild and we support the writers whether we're working on a show or not. I think that it's amazing that we've had the turnout that we've had. And sure, it's been hard on a lot of us. I know in my particular situation, it affects both myself and my husband. My husband works in sound. So if we're not working, then if there's no shows being shot, then there's no sound. Yeah, it's been hard, but you find a way to still do things and make it work. I've also written books. That's another area that I've tried to explore so that that doesn't affect me. Magazines and things of that nature. So even though I'm a little disappointed by the fact that we have to be on strike, I'm encouraged by the turnout that we've had throughout the strike and by hopefully what we will accomplish once the strike is over. What's your name? My name is Sherry McGee McCovey and um, I used to write for the Parkers television show, a number of reality shows. Okay, so why this theme for Picket? Why is diversity a theme on Picket Lines? Uh, a few years ago on the Parkers, I wrote an article for Essence Magazine and it was on writing for television and I had to go to the Writers Guild to get the statistics about the numbers of writers in television across the board and I was really really shocked to find out that you know of say 75 or 8500 writers maybe 300 of them were writers of color so it's beyond sad that we are not better represented I think they've done that in front of the camera but in behind the camera it's still not that way so it's just uh, something that we have to do we have to be out here just to show them that we're here and that we're talented and that we deserve a shot too yeah because the NAACP originally did have a push to get more black people in the entertainment industry and so I think in drama you do see more minorities in front of the screen but like she's saying behind the screen we still have a lot of a lot of ways to go a lot further especially now that they cut back and at first the UPN network you know at one time you know we had a lot of quite a few shows on Fox when Martin was on Fox and then from Fox you know they started switching over and eliminating some of the minority shows and then all of the shows 
shows jumped to UPN. So then UPN had quite a few number of minority shows. But then once it combined with the, the other network and came the CW network, they eliminated a lot of like the minority shows and got rid of them and selected just the top 10 shows out of both networks. So that made fewer minority writers working now. We were, you know, we were more of us were working on shows in the past five years than we are now. What's so your that name? makes a difference. Terry Brown Jackson. Hi, Terry. Thanks for stepping up. I was going to chime in and, and just um, basically say that we were blessed enough to come into the business and work with black female executive producers that were running the UPN on Monday night. So with Sarah Finney Johnson, Zivette Lee Bowser, Mara Brock Akil, and don't forget somebody else, Felicia Henderson, uh, and there's like uh, one more. I can't. Uh, Meg Deloach with Eve. So they're all the black female exec producers with their own shows that only lined up on UPN on Monday nights only. And that's about as, as much as we've got in terms of diversity, in terms of TV shows across the board, no major networks. And and we, we were blessed enough to work in that market. And then once, like Terry was saying, the, the networks combined with the, um, the UPN and WB combined to make the CW, all that got dropped. So that's all we had, and it's pretty much gone. And right now, um, our Brock Akil is doing well by still having girlfriends in the game. And that's as far as we are, is, is with uh, her having this one network. Currently, I'm working for Tyler Perry, so I'm working out of Atlanta. I just happened to be in town this week. What's um, your name? Kelly Griffin. And what do you and do? I am the associate producer and head writer of House of Pain with uh, Tyler Perry. What he has done is decided to open his own studio in Atlanta and step outside of the Hollywood you know, realm and create his own. Because a lot of opportunities are not being created the way they could be for uh, people of color here in Hollywood, um, which uh, we like to jokingly refer to sometimes as the plantation. But um, he has created his own studio and has cut out the middleman and makes his own rules. And he's blessed and got 100 episodes with TBS. And um, we get to create things and do things on the show that he would not have been able to do had he been here. So it's been different. It's been an experience. I feel that the internet is a great democracy and it's a great uh, level playing field. And I know that you writers have been fighting about the issues of new media. I've been trying to tell people that they can do it for themselves. And that's because I'm doing it for myself. I'm creating content on a daily basis and I'm putting it out there. How do you feel? Do you think... Do you have any advice for people trying to, people of color trying to break into the industry? Um, I, I, first of all, just keep doing it. I mean, you got to keep working at it. Whether there's uh, jobs out there or not, you have to make your own. Um, everybody from somebody like Elon Harris who wrote books and sold them out the back of his car, you know, to Tyler Perry doing his plays and funding himself until he finally sold out audiences and take that money and then move to the next genre and keep going from there. You just have to. Be willing to take the risk, put your own money into it. If you believe in your own product and support yourself and believe in yourself, then other people will follow you. And I, and I think that's no matter what race you are, gender, sexual preference, whatever, it's, it's, if you believe in you, I think other people will follow you. So, Thank you very much. You're very welcome. <laughs> That was Sherry McGee McCudley, Terry Brown Jackson, and Kelly Griffin at the Picket Lines for Diversity Day in front of Paramount Studios. We'll wrap up this podcast with an interview with writer Warren Hutcherson, which was also recorded that day. Here we go. Yeah. Well, that's 
why I'm a writer. Are you a writer? Yes, ma'am. I am a writer. What's your name? My name is Warren Hutcherson. What have you written for, Warren? Uh, I began my career at Saturday Night Live in New York City. And just recently, when the strike happened, I was writing on a kid's show for Nickelodeon called Just Jordan. Just what? I'm sorry? It's called Just Jordan. I've made, I've written on everything. There's nothing I haven't done. Do you have a favorite format? I like to tell stories. So I would I think my favorite format is a single camera sitcom three acts. If I can be that specific. Okay, I Okay, now you've got me because all I do is consume that kind of stuff. Can you break that down for me to somebody who's just been watching and now wants to know how to what they're eating? Well, <laughs> most sitcoms are multi-camera, which means there's th three to four cameras on standing sets. And they're usually two acts, which is there are a few um, scenes, and then there's a big, what they call, act break moment. And then uh, and you come back from commercial, and it's, and it's really built like that. Like there's some scenes, there'll be a few commercials in between the scenes. But then there's always like the big moment of like, oh, you don't want to miss this. You really want to see what's going to happen after this. You know, it's like, uh-oh. Archie and Meathead are stuck in the basement. Now what's going to happen? You know, it's, it's something like that. And then you come back from commercial because that's, they have that act break because then they're going to run three to four minutes of commercials. And then you come back. That's the game of television. Now, a three, a single camera, three act sitcom is a little bit more like a movie where it's just one camera. It's shot like a feature. And you actually have two act breaks so it's not the the trick of let's give them something let's get them excited and let's bring them back it's let's give them something do a twist give them something else and then do another twist and then end it which i think is more about yeah, most shows on hbo are, are uh, three act most all movies are three acts most uh like i think earl is single camera that's three acts and um uh, I think Scrubs also. I mean, it, it, you, as you watch the show, not that I mean they're great. Uh, Everybody loves Raymond. Was a great multi-camera show, which it's it's a, a two-act format. But um, yeah, any show, basically any show that looks like a movie. Three acts. Okay, thanks for schooling me. All right, so you've been on the picket lines how long? Since day one, I've been out here. I try to come to Paramount more often because it's close to my house since I live right here in in Hollywood. But I've done the. Uh, I've done the showrunner strike over at Disney, and I've been, I think I've been to every studio except for CBS Radford. Oh, I've been there, that was cool. Uh, but the point is, uh, how are you keeping your spirits up as we get into day six? I'm sorry, I How are you keeping your spirits up as we get into day six? You know what? It's, uh, you know, week six. Week six. When we, I mean, we have days like this when, you know, you, you see all these people that you haven't seen for a while and you see people that you, every once in a while you see somebody go, hey, I always wanted to talk to that guy. So you have a conversation. You know, how are you doing? Uh, there's no problem. See you later. See? Like that guy? Yeah. <laughs> you want to, I mean, you're kind of out here with friends. It's almost like a work day. It's like a play date. You know, I did some of the six o'clock, six a.m. things and it was still, it was fun to have people 
you know, still at 6 o'clock in the morning, still kind of feel good and energized. I mean, it helps me that I'm a comedy writer. Most of my friends are comedy writers, so there's... So you use look, levity and humor. Got, there's all, yeah, exactly. There's all kinds of jokes are flowing. You know, we're still kind of keeping our, our muscles tight. Okay, let's talk about this particular theme today, because I've been to a few now. Why is there a diversity day on the picket lines? Well, Diversity Day, it's almost like I was just saying. I mean, you have, uh, like, I know for a fact there are a lot of people here who haven't, like, been 100% participating because, you know, to some degree it doesn't feel like this is your strike. I mean, the truth of the matter is there's only 10% of the whole Writers Guild ever working. And then of that 10%, there's probably 8% of that 10% that uh, uh, people people of color, women, people who have handicaps. I don't know if that's a politically correct thing to say, but so to come out here on this day where it's like we're all together and we're, we, we can all see, you know, we're together, we're in this. There are some people who, like I said, this may have been their first or maybe their second day out of all these weeks on a picket line. Like I have a friend who hasn't worked on a show for two years and he's a professor now. He decided to go and teach, but he came out, he went to one picket for like an hour and uh, when he left, the strike captain was angry with him. The strike captain said, hey, you got to stay a full shift because there are shifts out here. And he couldn't believe it. He felt like, well, you know, like this guy didn't know his story. It's like, you don't understand. I just left work. I work in Long Beach. I drove to Burbank to protest, and now I'm going home. You know, and then you, you leave that situation disheartened. Like, these people don't even know about me. They don't know my situation. So now, you know, there's a lot of people out here who have been in touch with, like, there are people here who have been in touch with me who who've said to me, yeah, this strike feels like, at the end of the day, if we get, if the writers get a good contract, it's still going to be hard for me personally to get a job. As a person of color? As a person of color. So this kind of thing helps people to understand, you know what, we're still all in this together, even though you might feel a little isolated. Okay, I'm not a writer. Uh-huh. Uh, why are writers underrepresented in the guild? Uh, why are people writers of color underrepresented in the guild? That's, that's like a whole, you need to have a, a two-part uh, <laughs> podcast about that. There's a lot of answers to that question. You know, a, a big thing, though, I'll tell you, is that when people hire, I mean, when you think of it on a, on a personal level, like, uh, like even say yourself, if you come up with a great idea for a show, okay, and you pitch it, and they like it, okay, you've got a couple situations will happen. The network will say, or a studio will say, or even if your agent, if you have one, will say to you, hey, we got a lot of writers we'd like you to meet. And they all might be great writers, and you might want to meet a few of them. But let's say you also have four friends that you know get you. They have, yeah. They've been your friends forever, and they get you, and they get your show. Yeah. And they're all writers. Well, you're probably going to hire first those four friends. Most writing staffs are like six to nine people. So that's you, plus four positions already gone. So there's a lot of nepotism in this industry. 
you need people who, who understand the nepotism but are also willing to open the door to other people. Uh, and for the most part, a lot of people aren't willing to do that, especially if it's their first show. You know, if you get a show on for the first time, you want to know that everybody sitting at that table absolutely knows what you're talking about when you go to do a story. You know, you don't want you don't want it to be any harder than it is. And it's hard. It's hard to have a show. So it's a double-edged sword. You know, like now second, third season of a show, then you might want to start looking around to sort of open up the doors. However... Say it is the third season of the show, and your four friends have been on for the past three years. Which one of them are you going to go? Hey, you know what? I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna hire somebody else. You've been here a while. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now, hopefully, your your fourth season, the network studio will give you a little bit more money to hire some more people. But I mean, really, the bottom line is it kind of boils down to a little bit of nepotism. It's not discrimination. No, it is discrimination. I'm trying to. I'm trying to be. I'm trying. To, <laughs> I'm trying to say there's another side to it. The discriminatory part of it is this. Like I said, most staffs are are uh, six to nine people. So those four people plus you. Let's stay in that scenario. That's five people. You got one more person. Now, a lot of times people are hired, and I know because I've been on the hiring end and I've been on the trying to get hired end. There's two things that get you in the door. So there's two things that get you hired, really. One thing that gets you in the door is your script. You write a spec script, they read it. If they like the way you write, then you get interviewed. Now, the spec script basically just got you in the door. Your interview is what will get you hired. And a lot of the times, you know, people make assumptions based on how you look, based on, you know, what you talk about in interviews. So people, if some guy feels like, uh, you know, this guy... He knows a lot about, they say it's a person of color, and trying to get on a show that's, that's, for lack of a better term, a white show, which just means it has a white cast and most of the, and the creator and most of the writers are white. And the audience might be pretty And the audience is probably white. If it's American, then yeah, you know, uh, most of America is white. So, if somebody feels like, okay, I think this guy... It's kind of clever, kind of funny, but I don't ever want to not, I don't want to feel uncomfortable making a joke about black people around him because he might be sensitive. And then that's when the, then that's when it's like you're making a huge assumption about the kind of person someone is um, based on nothing. Uh, or, you know, based on your feeling in an interview, but you may never talk to another black person or Asian person or Latin person. So... What may happen is one or two jobs that could have gone to a good writer, a very good writer of color, go to a okay writer because that okay writer gives an interview where the showrunner feels like, I think I can get along with this guy. You know, and you, what you hope for is that maybe that guy doesn't get along with the showrunner. And Maybe they give you a spec script, and that script comes in so well, and they think the next time, hey, maybe I should think about hiring this guy. But, yeah, it, it, racism plays a part. Racism and sexism. And ageism. Ageism is another thing. You know, there's plenty of people who... Um, thank you. There are plenty of people who... Um, 
who have been in this business for a long time, but you know, some guy who's 32 gets a show, and a guy who's 50 or 48 puts in his resume, goes to be hired, and a guy goes, "Wow, this guy! God, he wrote on show that my he wrote on my mom's favorite show," and they just immediately think, "I don't know if I that old guy. He probably it's not going to work on my show." See, you don't you're baking your assumptions based on really nothing. Assuming that there are people of, of color out on my show who want to break into the industry and who are not going to cross the picket lines, when this is all over, how can people of color approach the entertainment industry? Well, uh, you mean on on the writing level? Yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah, thank you. Well, I guess it's it's a hard. Well, I'll say this: the one thing about a picket line about this strike is it's a little uh, the playing field is a little even yeah. you know I mean as much as it could be annoying you can certainly come out here and network yeah. you know I mean you can you, you will be shoulder to shoulder with somebody who might have a show that you want to talk about now you know and networking is what it is you've got to go and work your way in and try to have a conversation and make it seem like you're having a real conversation as opposed to as opposed to networking but that hopefully that person will remember you you know and you'll say hey yeah we walked the picket line together so I don't uh, I don't know I, I, don't, I don't know other than that I mean because I think that 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 is the question like that's a question that I have and I think that's a question a lot of people here at Diversity Day have it's like well once this is over do I say hey look here's my button from Diversity Day <laughs> you know, I'm serious about being a guild member. Could you help me out? And, and I don't know the answer to that. You know, I mean, I, I don't think I think it's going to take showrunners who have the ability to hire people of color, uh, people who are disabled, and uh, and women and people who have been around for a while to say, look, you know what? We want the best minds because it's supposed to be a mind thing, you know. And if, when those people just say, look, I don't, I'm not so worried about me being comfortable because I, I'm going to be comfortable with the best people around me, then things will change. Anything you want to add before we wrap this up? I don't No, No, I don't think so. I feel like I've been talking too much and you're going to use like three seconds of that, which is fine with me. Oh, no, I'll t let me tell you about my format. It's about, oh, I don't know, six to ten minutes, or actually six to twenty minutes uh -huh. of what you said, eliminating ums and you knows and dead air. Okay. But pretty much keeping in everything you said um, because I feel this is more historical than um, entertainment. Oh, okay, well, thank you. Thank you very much. You have been listening to the Writer's Strike Chronicles podcast. For more information, visit our blog at wgastrike2007.blogspot.com.